you know, there's a lot of hype about remixing huge catalog material, like whatever, Michael Jackson, Rolling Stones, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, but that music was not made to be heard this way. The music was, was uh, perfectly produced to be what it is, yeah. what it was. Lou here from Stereo Fox, and thank you so much for joining us for another episode of Fox Tales. Now, we have quite a guest that has made one hell of a mark in the South African music industry, and that is among the reasons why this episode is going to be quite special. The person I'm talking about is, of course, Robin Brink. Now, he's well known for his role as a drummer over at Beatenberg. He also makes electronic music under the name OK Shades. Plus, he's the product manager over at Marx Audio, which is based in Germany. Funnily enough, they're actually known to be one of uh, Berlin's first studios. But we are going to dive into that and a whole lot more a bit later on. In this conversation, Robin and I dive into the world of Dolby Atmos and, of course, spatial audio. Do you guys remember that? That spatial audio thing. <laughs> in 2021, one of the most hailed innovations within the music space was, of course, Apple's spatial audio. When this thing came out, it caught a lot of buzz. And to be honest, at first, I was very unsure about it. And to an extent, I still, I still am quite skeptical. However, after I spoke to Robin Brink about uh, spatial audio, it made sense why it could possibly be the future of sound technology. But that's not all. We also go into um, Robin's, let's say, elusive background, because I feel as if a lot of people don't quite know about his background. Plus, he shares some stories with us about his trips and times with Beatenberg. For those that don't know Beatenberg, wow, in South Africa, you literally couldn't be alive without hearing the hit track in 2014 called Pluto. Along with being a multi-awarded band, they've toured globally, and they've also collaborated with massive acts such as Mumford and Sons. There are moments where this episode is quite deep as we steep into things related to apartheid, where we steep into things related to Africa and its diversity. And there are also moments where this podcast episode is ridiculously informative as we dive into the world of music technology, as, like I mentioned, spatial audio and Dolby Atmos, and also where this whole wave is going forward. And Robin is super informed about this. And... That makes me all the more happy that we got someone like him to shed light on this topic. Without further ado, let's dive into the conversation with Robin Brink. Also, I just wanted to remind you, if you have not rated the podcast yet, please do so. That would be great. Also, feel free to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, wherever you use your social media, including Discord. Um, yeah, all of those links you'll find in the description. Let's go. Hey, Lou. <laughs> nice to see you, man. Yeah, pleasure to see you too. First time seeing you wearing glasses. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's uh, at home. <laughs> that's the AJ, yes. <laughs> yeah, man. It's been forever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, just to catch um, the audience up to speed. Um, so, yeah, Robin and I met about three, four years ago because um, I interviewed the band that he was, that he is is playing for mm -hmm. <laughs> right. and yeah we met at a studio called soundcast in cape town 
Um, yeah, that was it, the only time that we met, but we just kind of always uh, knew of each other since then. Um, again, man, thank you so much for, for pulling up. Um, what a pleasure to have you. Sure thing, man, 100%. So what, so what made you move to Berlin? Um, good question. I so yeah, you know, you know the band and everything, and kind of the the path that we were on, and like the incredible fortune or privilege that we had to see the success that we did. Um, and yeah, we it feels like we broke a lot of ground, and and we got to meet a lot of people and do a lot of things in SA. And in the back of my mind, like I was aware that at some point we might like hit the ceiling in a sense, um, or at least in my like personal musical career development, I felt like it would make sense at some point to live for a time somewhere else and kind of start from scratch uh, and kind of be refreshed by, cause you know, with in SA, um, man, yeah, it's a complex topic, but like in SA, like um, when you get, to a certain level of success there's not a lot of room to grow from there you know and then i think people some people kind of will settle into that and i don't think it's good to like settle too much if you're in music or in the creative arts yeah. or creative professions you know what i mean so um yeah that was kind of a thought i'd had for a long time or something i was aware of and then i planned for a long time to make the move and then i did and that was 2018 and then i was really lucky that i could also start playing drums for bonga ziba mabandla who was on tour a lot uh, internationally. So nice. I was kind of traveling with him a lot, especially around Europe, but like around the world. And then the band was doing things. Um, and it was like, a, yeah, it was a good time. <laughs> there was a time of growth and like experiencing new things, people, places, all of that, you know, it's really inspiring. Then came the pandemic. So that kind of derailed everything, I think for everyone, um, not just in the music. Mm -hmm. And that kind of led me to where I am now. You were kind of already in Berlin at the time when the pandemic hit, or yeah, yeah, I was. Yeah, so I'd been, I'd lived here since for the end of 2018, the whole of 2019, um, and I'd been able to travel and do all the things. And then, like, 2020 arrived, and then it was like put the brakes on everything, you know, and lockdown and getting locked up, and obviously, like, a lot of existential thoughts, like, yeah, like I said, most people had in the creative field, but also outside of that, obviously um and yeah i mean there was a lot there was a lot there's a lot of things that have happened in the last two years a lot of like growth and change and all that um and one of the things that's happened that's been really cool that i'm really happy about is um that i got introduced some to some people through friends of friends and got to connect with a few different studios and people in berlin for example and i got involved in the world of dolby atmos which is mm. like uh this new generation there's a term for it, but like, it's like the next generation of sound technology or whatever. Um, and generally I think when it's talking about it, it's important to bear in mind because there's a lot of hype, a lot. Yes. And, yes. and, and there's hype and there's also criticism and all of that. I think it's really important to bear in mind that, that we're talking about sound in general. Um, I mean, we're talking about music and surround sound and blah, 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 but we're talking about sound and that's an experience. And this experience is a part right of, there. yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> That's like uh, the centerpiece of our conversation. And I wouldn't yeah. want you to drop too many gems too early. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> and I love where you're going with it. I really love where you're going with it. But I also do have a lot of questions in that regard. Funnily enough, when I was, yeah. I was out one night and I bumped into Misaki, um, just to catch everyone up to speed, Misaki is um, 
Afro folk, um, uh, Afro pop um, artist that's based here in South Africa. Funny enough, I didn't even know who the fuck she was when we when we met. I was just just speaking to her like normally, and then yeah, she, yeah. Mentioned, she mentioned that um, that one of the dudes about at Beatenberg is producing with with her or her or something like that. And then that's how I kind of realized who she was. And then that's how I also found out that we produce and do other stuff. And I think that's a great segue to my next question. I saw, mm-hmm. I saw quotes on your LinkedIn that states, um, I help artists realize their dreams. To you, what does this mean? And at which point did you discover that this is something that you want to do? Yeah, I realized that, uh, I think it was around 2018, 2019, when I was getting exposed, when I was starting to travel a lot more and I was meeting a lot of different people and realizing like off the back of the band, like that, that, that had been like a really cool like boot camp in the music industry in a way <laughs> and i got to i got to like learn a lot of things about how it works behind the scenes in terms of like the production and release cycles and distribution and marketing and touring to support you know like all of that and uh i learned a lot of that and and i realized at some point because we just started out russ from the band and i together had started doing some production projects with people like manu grace uh right in the beginning and then, and then later on, like a lot of different people that we encountered. And that feeling was quite clear. It was like, it's so great to work with people where they have, because you recognize talent. Like we're encountering people all the time. They can be talented in different fields. But say, if we stick to music, like you just recognize the spark, you know, that they, that they have something to say and that you have the technical know-how and maybe some industry knowledge to help people like bring that to life. And that's what I mean by helping people realize their dreams, because otherwise it's the semi-abstract fantasy, you know, of like, oh, I've got this melody or like I've got this lyrical concept and I want to like communicate that to people. And I want to communicate to maybe a specific audience, a huge one or a small one or whatever that is like, you know, how do I get there? Uh-huh. Uh, and, and we've become like pretty good at that. I mean, we're not like we're not A-list producers or anything like that, but we are good at it in the sense of, having a great time doing it with people. You know, everyone has a great time. And then at the end of the day, there's, there's music that lives forever. Actually, I have a great way to, to describe what you're saying. What's that word? Um, the doctors that help mothers deliver their babies? Uh, the word like that. Um, uh, I think I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Not like a midwife, but like the main doctor who's, right, who's doing the delivery. So the way I kind of see it, it's like you guys are the doctor of those kind of doctors for yep. the, the ideas that are pretty much in the womb. That's pretty yep. much how, how I'm looking at it. That's a, that's really cool, man. Yeah. That's really cool. That's- yeah. It's, it's funny. I like that reference because it reminds me like of the um, part of the campaign for Lil Nas X's big album. <laughs> he, he did, he did some promo like that when he was in hospital and he was giving birth and take a day trip, his two main producers were like the the, the hospital nurses or, or doctors or whatever, like yeah. on, at his side. And then he was giving birth to this record and it was so good. It's all, I think it's still on Instagram. Like it's so funny and you, beautiful and real. Like, you know, it was so good. Firstly, I love the fact that you know who Take a Day Trip is. Like, yeah, oh. those, guys are, <laughs> those guys are inspiring, man. They're so oh, cool. for, oh man, you really know who they are, okay. <laughs> so funny to find out about their trajectory you know to to be producers associated with Lil Nas X in the mainstream people will have certain assumptions okay they do this and this 
but to find out that they were both like obsessed with like 2007 like French Electro House or whatever that was called at the time everything affiliated to Ed Banger they just wanted to do that and then but they you know the one dude has like uh, musicals chops like he can play keys or whatever he's got that thing Uh the other dude's really good at beats and blah 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 and then they found themselves you know on this path like it's so good they're super inspiring I was about to say they were at one point they were like my favorite producers in hip hop, and I love the fact that you mentioned that they wanted to make Ed, wanted to make Ed Banger kind of stuff because one yeah. of the biggest songs of 2017, 2018, Mobamba, that was produced by them. Um, yeah, yeah. They also made a track with Crept and Conan, uh, which is a garage track actually. So like yes. to to see them in every uh, nooks and cranny of various genres really like made me fall in love with them a lot more. And that's why they're winning because like diversifying what you do, mixing it up, the people that you're with, that you work, all of that, like that leads to doing something fresh. <laughs> Man, I'm so fascinated by your, by your music taste because last time I checked, you guys were, you guys, but also you were like really entrenched into a classical world. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. World vibes. And then yeah, man. also into... <laughs> Also into, I guess, uh, progressive house kind of vibes. Um, but actually, let's kind of go back a little bit. When you were uh, when you were younger, you were quite a busy body. Actually, you were playing drums, you were producing beats, painting pictures, learning graphic design um, as a teenager too. Where did this uh, yeah. like intense creative um, drive come from? I don't know. It's uh, <laughs> a great question. I have no idea. I maybe got to ask my mom or my dad or like. Uh, my brother or someone but I used to be like self-conscious about um about being aware of like investing across the board and then not being like a master of one thing like my favorite drummer you know was the best drummer in the world when he was 18 and I was already in my early 20s and kind of feeling mixed up about that um what did you say you were with the best drummer in the world what no, no, no. My favorite drummer, like, <laughs> I knew that I used to read about him, like, he was, like, 18 when he was, like, you know, killing it totally. And um, and I was already in my early 20s. I was like, yeah, I'm really into drumming, but I'm also really into, like, music production and art and graphic design and, like, whatever, like, all these different things that, in a way, are just expressions of, like, an aesthetic attitude, you know, more than, like, really narrowly seeing it as like you know it's a sport you know because it can be and that's cool Mm. and it's fun but i'm more like i'm more generally drawn to all the things at the same time being the same thing because the distinctions aren't so important to me necessarily but you are also good at everything too (laughs) thanks a lot i appreciate that yeah i mean i guess like i'm surrounded by people that i think are really good at what they do so there's always that like kind of osmosis or like you're sponging off of people and trying to like you know it's good to be surrounded by people that you think are like really good at what they do and that's generally where i'm at um i dig it and yeah. of course of course you can't uh talk about your background without bringing up uh Beatenberg. um totally it yeah it wouldn't be an exaggeration to state that you guys were among the most iconic South African bands that come out of um, our generation and in which ways did your life change after Beatenberg reached uh, stardom? It was life changing, and it was also like totally, um, honestly, so and uh, like and so unexpected. And uh, and the three of us clicked naturally and started. We were playing for a while, doing our thing in all earnest, 
trying to be like very sincere with what we were doing and then um realized that if like we didn't be the opening band anymore and wanted to be the headline band we needed to have some new songs so we started to like kind of incorporate more of our interest in electronic music and like like dance music into that slowly and in a subtle way and then um then we had the incredible like the incredible luck of getting to meet DJ Clark and a bunch of others who were affiliated with uh Universal at the time um which for me was like come true because I like grown up listening to a lot of like what people call afro house you know house and essay yeah um yeah all those things came together and then yeah it more or less just exploded totally unexpected and yeah we're riding that way for for a long time i mean we still are like it was that life changing kind of inserted us into the music industry uh in such an intense way and we learned such that like I'll be forever grateful it's really crazy yeah and i feel as if <laughs> the the track with uh, dj clark is like quite entrenched within a period of time and what i mean by that is like if you when you hear that song you think of that particular era of um of being an essay actually i think when the song came out i was most likely in in high schools probably probably even primary school yeah I was in grade 6 or 5. <laughs> that's so epic. <laughs> oh, man, that's so good. <laughs> so, talking about you guys' trajectory, how was you guys experience with uh Island Records because because the move um so on so the signing so then essentially made you guys um small fish in a big pond. Exactly. Yeah, that's spot on. Um yeah, man, it was uh got to think about how I'm going to put this I've got to be careful <laughs> which already says something it was very difficult to make that transition because also there it's not like there've been loads of people breaking that ground before us you know mm-hmm. the way in general to speak about this in a more like meta way like the way that the southern market and maybe many parts of the african market obviously so massive in general the way it's received and regarded internationally like I still think it's really problematic um it's only starting to change which is cool like the recognition of like what's happening in west africa and everything is good but like people really they're sleeping let's put it that way and um you know what i mean and and it's going to take time to change but basically for us yeah to make that kind of move is like it was tricky in terms of people on that side understanding us in our dna it's like in south africa because we were dealing with south africans in the business and every people more or less got you what we were doing was very new in a sense it was fresh and unexpected but it's like people could make of it whereas in the uk like it didn't translate because it's not like we were like born and raised in london and we're like like pop teenagers or something it's like we're much more nuanced and complex than that um if i could put it that way So um yeah that had some challenges but again it was just a, a for me like another kind of step in the learning process figuring out how that works and like uh we are starting to get active again uh, in that territory and worldwide or at least that's the plan for for the next while which is exciting um and it's all going to be really good sure So when you said it folks were sleeping you maybe feel as if the top, it was a timing thing as well because at this point in time for sure yeah like, like african music is a lot more uh uh 
for lack of a better term, accepted into <laughs> into yeah. um, into mainstream conscious. Yeah, back then, like this, the sound that you guys are doing was was definitely interesting. Like I said, a lot more nuanced. So yeah, I get what you mean if you if you're saying like the timing was. Let's just say we weren't ready. Uh, <laughs> and what, yeah, would, what would you like to see more? In, uh, what would you like to see more in the South African music scene? Whoa, good question. Um, uh, I'm kind of like generally always content with like what's on what I hear. You know, I mean, basically, like I listen to I'm a piano most days of the week. Uh, so like and there's just like so much I mean I remember like when people first started sharing like the first one of the first big that came out when it was still only like on these mp3 sharing sites like this is just you know this is way up. before just to catch people up I'm a piano is a is a genre of music that you're fuck where do I <laughs> <laughs> I'm a drummer right makes sense like, like I'm a drummer and a DJ so like of course I love I'm a piano you know I'm from SA like it's in my yeah it's you know. in short it's a South African music genre which is encompasses electronic uh house uh oh man where do I even begin? I mean it's feels like I'm a piano is like quite a 3.0 you know what I mean yeah or like 3.5 so like evolved like advanced now it's so good you know also these little subgenres and everything like it's I like love Bacardi it and stuff so like yeah like I don't know you get like these different vibes where you stuff that's like quite raw and like uh like a dusty type of vibe you mean and that's then at true. the same time you get like these vibes that are more like someone calls it like private school i'm a piano and it's like really <laughs> slick and you get like sub genres within sub genres and I, I love that like it's it just keeps on giving so that's really really good as soon as you hear that dun, 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 yeah, dun, yeah you yeah, know yeah. exactly <laughs> what you're gonna get yeah, so yeah. <laughs> but uh sorry what were you saying about listening to the old piano that's like I'm kind of in some respects I'm totally satisfied with what's happening in the music scene and essay but then again like I've always been I've always had ears for like what's happening in the mainstream or in the so-called underground or whatever at the time and and I haven't been too with what's happening in the maybe indie pop rock type of space that much and so that's just not really where my investment lies so much. It's like, I'm more interested in, yeah, I don't know, it's hard to explain. What I would like to see change in the South African music industry is like something to do with the live space. It feels like for a long time, like it's been really difficult with venues and venues always shutting down and like there's complications there. And it would be really, thing I've learned like from spending time in Europe uh, or in like other places is that you have touring circuits like if you can essay and you could drive like from Durban to Joburg and make like one stop and from Joburg to Cape Town and make like three stops and go through the Northern Cape the garden route. And then like, uh, I've played in Lesotho, play there, you know, and the whole of like Southern Africa, you know what I mean? Like playing Namibia and Botswana and Zimbabwe and everywhere uh, and have that as like one unified thing that has organization, oh. industry structures behind it, then everyone's going to get paid better live is the best way to get to, you know people pay tickets to see your show like it's it's better than trying to sell memes because streaming is not not where it's at 
that would be amazing, you know, and they've got that like in, in the States and Europe and in other territories. Um, I would love to see that, but there's also bigger problems because it's about Africa, like we're part of the Anglophone, like Commonwealth thing. And then there's yeah. the Lusophone thing, League Angola, and then the Francophone, which is like where the music is vibing hard, <laughs> but like those divisions are intense, you know? So um, the language cultural divisions and, and it's a lot, like it's a lot to, but if, if people crack that and, and nail it, then it would just be off the charts. So good, you know. So then you guys were able to kind of do that. A little, yeah, for sure. We got to across like um, Southern Africa a lot and, and even an echo to like so many places that I'd probably not have seen otherwise. Um, it was really like a profound, like spiritual experience, you know, being like a white South African born like just the end of apartheid um i was born in 89 like you know i carry a lot of stuff with me that i've always been trying to deal with process and to just be a good person in the history of so many people not being you know um and then being with the band and traveling to like to play in kind of townships in the middle of nowhere um to be vibing with people so hard and vibing to the music and surprised when we got out the when we got on stage, they were like, wait, who are, the, who are these guys? That's all. <laughs> you know, it was like really, really uh, a meaningful, really meaningful experience, really, really positive. So I kind of, yeah, it's definitely from my belief in music for bringing people together as opposed to like, um, you know, putting them apart. Yeah. I'm, I'm so I got all mad. deep there, but that's yeah. kind of what I always <laughs> um, and I'm, I'm glad you went that deep because that feels like you said some things in that, um, um, in the, I guess, monologue. Uh, <laughs> in, mm. the, <laughs> in your answer. <laughs> My soliloquy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You said, you said some things in your in your answer that I guess would inspire uh, more ideas, particularly the, and I love the fact that you brought up the the whole thing of like a touring circuit. And as soon as you're talking about it, the first thing that came to mind was like, "This is a great idea." But then the flip side of the coin, I thought about uh, the amount, like the just uh, how do I put this? The crippling diversity going on uh, in in Africa, and I'm so glad that you also brought that up, that up as well. Uh, because that was my only rebuttal, but I think uh, it's definitely possible. Like artists like Casper Mjolnir, um, aka um, maybe even DJ Maporiza, they can definitely do something like that. And I think Amapiano, the, yeah. genre, the genre that we were talking about, has those kind of legs to do something like that. Because at the same time, um, I feel as if um, this, in the same way, cities like. Uh, I'm going to bring the USA in, in this conversation. In the same way, uh, New York, Atlanta, and New York and Atlanta are shaping what's going on in the future of hip hop per se. Yeah, I would say West Africa and Southern Africa, well, Western African city, uh, countries and Southern African countries, uh, particularly South Africa, <laughs> yeah. for sure. Uh, are kind of shaping on what, what's going on on a mainstream level in Africa, but particularly Western African countries, such as, of course, Nigeria. Um, and yeah. the, I think the closest thing that we have 
in terms of something that's fresh and new um that has those that has like those um that's able to hop borders is i would say is i'm a piano um so oh, okay. which, whichever artists that are really blowing up in that space i think uh, i think yeah Busasiwa. um she's able to do do all these shows in various countries um across africa and of course um Misaki, um folks that lean towards an afro pop kind of um kind of space um yeah man but yeah, moving on, um, I think something that many folks don't know about you is the fact that you produce two under the name OK Shades. What does, producing, what does producing give you that drumming can't? So, okay, great question. Yeah, drumming is like living, drumming is like a living thing. So <laughs> I really love it like for the experience of doing it like with people because the music in its live form is like kind of like magic, you know, it feels like casting spells because you can like play certain grooves. If we talk to the drums, uh, you know, you can talk about piano as well, but like, oh, or something. But if you play like just the drums, there's certain grooves you play that just make people move in certain ways and you get everything out of them. Um, and I really like, I'm drawn to that in a deep way, like uh, making people move basically, um, getting them hyped. So there's that. And the thing with production is that um, drumming is just one part of music production. And what I love about production is dealing with music in general, like dealing with harmony and rhythm and, and structure and tension and release, all the, the main components of it. Um, and it's kind of fun like doing arrangements, doing remixes, stuff like that. It's like a, it feels like a game in a way. Um, where you're playing with expectations yes. <laughs> I mean you're playing with expectations like are you going to do like this thing because I like to play I spend a lot of time with just with electronic music in own time as a kind of hobby and it's like a training ground for trying out new ideas and like pushing my skills in sound design and, and arrangement and stuff and I like it because I say it's a game because it's like you can do certain things in a conscious way it's like am I doing this because it's a nod tradition. Am I doing this to like break that in an in interesting or funny way? Am I doing this to like make people, to get people more hyped? It does move to the next section, uh, whatever. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's so engaging and fun and kind of simple um, because there are rules that you know or that you learn and then you break or you don't break, mm. you know? And sometimes the rules is breaking them because there's a tendency at the time to break those rules. And, you know, it's like, there's a lot of uh, thought that, that which, goes with which, it. which console do you yeah. use? With like which software? Which console do you use? <laughs> As in software, yeah, yeah. I was just messing with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm kind of like I'm sort of like born and raised in in Ableton, but nowadays I spend a lot of time in Pro Tools as well. You prepare mixes there because in the in the pop world at least, like and you know, in the kind of industry expectations, like you know, Pro Tools is a good place to be. Um, for like final delivery but in the electronic music world of course Ableton is king um, it's just so flexible and fast and like you know you can actually jam in it which is uh, it makes it feel like an instrument which is really really cool mm. let's talk about Mark's, uh, Mark's audio um, how did you end up over at, uh, at Mark's audio yeah man I was really lucky I think a string of cool coincidences um if you have like two minutes I can give you the really hilarious fact which is that I think at the end of 2019 I was flying to a, Asia to see my this is a podcast yeah we're going, we're going, we're going yeah we got time yeah so I'll, I'll I'll put it like this 
in twenty end of twenty nineteen, I was flying to Asia to see my brother who lives or who was living out there at the time. And um, on my flight, I was sitting next to a German girl. Uh, we were flying out of Berlin, um, and we got talking. And it turns out she's an actress um, and a singer, and she wanted to get more into making music and stuff like that. So we exchanged cards and kind of went our separate ways, and I, we forgot about it. And then three weeks we were on the same returning flight, like coincidentally. So we, this is like, you know, sort of a clear sign that we need to go to studio together. We arranged that. We started jamming. And then we had this like insane idea to make like a 10 minute music video, short film, like hybrid type of project where she could like act and sing. I made like all the beats um, and it was really, really cool. And she had coincidentally around the same met the team at Mark's Audio, which is run by a guy called Mark Elsner, who's a really brilliant guy. Um, he's really experienced in the music scene in uh, here in Germany. Um, yeah, and I met him and the team, we really got along and we were kind of finishing up the project in their space and started mixing it in surround sound as like an experiment because of like a Dolby Atmos mix room, which mm -hmm. is sort of, like I mentioned earlier, it's the kind of sort of the future of mixing music in surround sound, which has been inherited from film. And it's now being like widened um, across all kinds of playback devices, formats, channels, whatever. Yeah, it's been quite a while that I've been involved with them. And, and so I, I made a role for myself there as a project manager where I could connect what they do, the services they offer with some of the labels, managers and artists that I, you know, through my background in music. And it's been really fun and interesting. And yeah, it's nice to be uh, surfing a wave if you got on early, you know, and see like how big it's getting and <laughs> how fast it's moving. That's a great pivot. Holy shit. Yeah, really man. To, to, be, to be honest, it was also like, it was an amazing kind of circumstances, like because I spent the first 12 months or something of the pandemic, like, man, I'm really committing my life to being a drummer, like touring the world with bands when like, we're all going to be locked up from that. You know, I had to, I had to deal with that. And I knew that there was the production thing and the work with the artists and this, that, and all, you know, all these separate things. But, I wasn't like what the direction would be. And then naturally this other relationship developed and this kind of career opportunity, which has enabled me now um, to kind of do the project management work and kind of connect the dots to see it. Mm -hmm. like, like I mentioned, between the engineering services, the technical side, and then facilitating that creative conversation with the clients who would be managers, artists, labels, distributors. Um, and at the same time, have some time on my end to work as a producer and a drummer and la da da. As the pandemic is slowly, hopefully coming to an end, I now have more time to travel again. And I've been traveling quite a bit in the last few weeks. Things are looking quite optimistic in the music world, at least. Yeah. 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 It's also great to see you more involved, I guess, in the business aspect of things, um, apart from the actual creation process. Um, yeah. And so I see Marx is one of the first studios in Berlin. That's, that's quite crazy. What's the story, uh, what's the story behind Marx anyway? The studio, um, how long have you been doing this? I'm not, uh, I can't, I've got to think in my head, I don't want to get it wrong, but I know that Marx has run his studio since like the early 80s. Since um, the 80s? In very, the early 90s, at least. Okay. So um, there've been various iterations. Uh, obviously I wasn't around <laughs> for all of that. Um, 
But yeah, there have been different studios across the and um the latest incarnation, there are like two or three different rooms. There are two in Charlottenburg, which is like a you could say quite like a nice district. And then there's another smaller satellite studio in Mitte, like a very central, uh central area. And the main Atmos suite is in Charlottenburg, uh, fitted with like head head audio speakers, which is uh which they're really, really nice high-end speakers, also from a company based in Lynn that's related to to Adam and Eve audio, which are like well-known sort of speaker makers. Um, yeah, and it sounds really, really good. And uh, yeah, at first I was skeptical about like what the adoption, the uptake would be um, across the industry, like, you know, sort of outside music and obviously with music, which is like my focus. It's been really interesting to see when Apple decided to, to license Dolby Atmos and include it as part of their spatial offering. Um, that kind of just changed the game and uh yeah we're all still kind of yeah uh you could say recovering from that or rather like yeah working with that because it's it's been a game for sure it's pretty much open the floodgates um what are what are your general general responsibilities over at uh, at mox yeah like i said um project managing so and interfacing clients artists, labels, managers, and everything. So I'm communicating with the engineering, either sitting in doing like assisted mixes or managing them remotely, um, various kinds of projects and a lot. As you, you mentioned, the floodgates have opened. There's like a lot of content coming through. We've done like hundreds of tracks in the last few months um, and it's not slowing down at all, which is interesting. The other thing is that I'm constantly, I have an eye out for like diversifying the roster of the kinds of artists and acts we work with. So it's already quite international. Um, and I'm keen for that to grow as much as possible. I think it makes the work really interesting. What yeah. I find interesting is, well, actually, what, on, the, um, on the list of names of artists that you guys work with, um, one of my friends is on there, actually. <laughs> well, he, he goes under two monikers, uh, Mixton, N-K-S-T-N, and Claire. C-R-E-H. Cool. Uh, That's so good. I love it. I love it. <laughs> and then one of my favorite artists, this guy is like so low-key, but when people find his music, they really flip, well, when electronic heads find his music, they really flip up. You guys did a mix of Lone? Um, yes, exactly. Yeah, but it might not be the Lone thinking of. The loan oh. that we probably both follow, both would like play in DJ sets. This is a different loan. Thank <laughs> <laughs> okay. you. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of loan for sure. Oh, you are? I like this loan. Yeah, yeah, of course. But this is a different one. I And I also really like this music. This is like the solo piano side project of like a, of a successful producer, at least in the UK. Um, I guess both loans are from the UK then. Um, and this is like a kind of ambient piano Nils from esque type of thing, which is very beautiful and it sounds really good in in sound. But I also noticed that you guys have quite a lot of uh, um, artists based within the chill hop, the lo-fi space, because I saw Brilliant. Um, and if not mistaken, exactly. and I saw Miss Ink. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I think like it goes through phases where like in the week, like half the time we're, we're mm -hmm. mixing that kind of content. Um, which is really cool. It's surprising how well it lends itself to like the immersive thing. But I guess the intention of that kind of music of like, you know, lo-fi beats is like 
to let you out and relax and be calm and you know decompress or whatever and so when you work with that in the surround space like um it's immersive obviously so it really sucks you in into the mood you know into the like hazy ambience of it which is um yeah really effective and really cool we do a lot of that what would you say has been one of your favorite sessions um wow lots good question uh there was like a rap thing a while ago that i thought was really cool. like um there's a rapper called leila um she's from i think she's from hamburg and we mixed a song for her that was just like a rap banger and i think it was used for like an apple campaign in germany um online or something and that was really fun that was really cool like i like hearing rap in this context you know Yeah, them eight yeah. I mean, if it is a trap. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because like when you're working with like a sound like with Dolby Atmos, for example, like you have a sub in the room. That's a requirement of you know having the correct like spray. So you get to really like crank up the sub, um, which you might not otherwise in different genres of music. You know, um, you really lean on that, and it's really fun. Yeah, it really smacks. Let's um, let's dive right into Dolby Atmos and spatial audio. So yeah, 2021 managed to produce um, some fascinating developments in the audio and AV world. Arguably, one of the most prominent shifts in the music landscape last year was when Apple announced that they'd be adding Dolby Atmos-powered spatial audio tracks to its uh, to its streaming service. Um, Robin, could you elaborate um, to us the difference between Dolby Atmos and spatial audio? Yeah, sure. Um, spatial audio. Is uh, like a trademark of Apple, and it's a feature that they offer within their system, within their audio, their world of audio. It's built on top of Dolby Atmos, so it's probably good to define what Dolby Atmos is in relation to other kinds of surround sound, um, which I could do quick. Basically, like some point, probably in the 30s or whatever, like they started producing uh, reproducible like playback systems, and it was all in mono. And at some point in the fifties, they realized they could set up speakers and split the signals, and that was the advent of stereo, which then matches what headphones are. That's been the standard like for a really long time. Um, at some point, they people in the industry decided to give a go of like banding even more, and they came up with quadraphonic, and they wanted to cut uh, four grooves onto records instead of all two. Um, but that kind of was a very niche, high end thing, and didn't really like it. You know, make a long-lasting impact. Then 5.1 arrived, which was coming from the world of film, and that stayed for a long time. And that is a standard, especially in the film world, and at times in the music world, uh, for people with you know big home systems to to listen to like concerts that are mixed in 5.1. It's the usual sense of an immersive mix. And then, like sometime around 10 years ago, I think um, Dolby started developing a new system called Dolby Atmos, which is a new version of sound. Which is independent of the number of speakers you have or what kind of speakers you have at all. Okay. So it it relies on processing power, as opposed to the number of speakers you have, which means you create like a Dolby Atmos mix, and um, it's quite heavy because it uh, got up to 118 channels, independent channels of audio, and um, This is dynamically decoded by the playback device, so it could be like your iPhone transmitting AirPods or AirPods Max or whatever. It could be to a soundbar like from JBL or Sennheiser or whatever, 
It could be to a home theater that has like speakers in the roof and behind you and a nice sub or to a music studio like the one we have that has seven point one point speakers. So seven surround, one sub on the ground and four above. To like a, you know, like a, a, a mixing stage to a venue like they've built recently in Las Vegas, which is the first major Dolby Atmos live, in, which has like hundreds of speakers. And I know that Anderson Pack is playing there, Winner Mars, um, soon. And, uh, and that's a fully immersive live stage. So sur- sound is coming at you from everywhere and it's being programmed on the fly and pre-programmed. And, and um, yeah, it's revolutionary and it's possible that this work can be carried around in your pocket on your phone or this can be you know, running in a high-end studio because we have processing power like never before. Really like, you know, the the important change that means that it has legs and it can it can move forward into the keep iterating man i love how how like for lack of a better term passionate but you're also so knowledgeable about um about about this and on mox's website um you guys mentioned that dolby atmos is going to be the industry standard soon why do you guys believe it is going to be the uh, the standard yeah it's like uh on the one hand, it's just a it's sort of, you could say it's the instinct, um, but the, the, the feeling in the air, you know, and at the same time, it's like, um, it's been known from the industry that it's becoming a required deliverable all over the place. Whoa, so okay. I think for the, for, for the first month, at least for a certain tier of artists, you know, with a certain uh, release campaign. So um, for the first while, it seems that they were like checking really big artists, like, the weekend or Bieber or you know what have you um, and delivering delivering that kind of music format as well to test the waters and to make sure they covered their bases and um, yeah the floodgates have, have definitely opened because people realize that across streaming platforms Apple Music if your music is released in spatial uh, in Dolby Atmos then uh, it can be on the front page and you could get editorial placements and support because there are new there are new opportunities for your music to be positioned, mm. you know, if you're delivering format as well. If you know what I mean, it's kind of like maybe the switch between black and white and color. And if there's a new cinema that only plays colors, but like you don't have it, you're not going to get shown. You know what I mean? And not hit that box office. So maybe that kind of conversation that that's going on. Um, yeah, as far as we've experienced, like it's definitely heading in that direction. So it's, it's very interesting. That's not that artists aren't going to get any love or support, like if they're not mixing in this format, because that's absurd. But, um, you know, it's not on the radio or anything like that yet. But um, going forward, it, it, it seems to be unstoppable, especially think about the fact that this is like a, an immersive experience and everyone's talking about or has been talking about VR and AR for so long. And there have been mm-hmm. these like attempts to get that to take off and then it has but we're getting ever closer to it and it's not stopping. It feels like when those two things sync up as if it's almost as if like this 3D sound thing is just the first step towards that. So when they launch that, they've already got sound covered and they've kind of ironed out all the kinks and done all the troubleshooting. So put on that headset, we will be completely, you know, lost in virtual reality. Um, In a way that feels like the bigger background to what we're doing right now. Well, okay. A lot of information. <laughs> <laughs> um, I want to pick up on something that you that you mentioned. 
Well, I mean, in the 30s, actually, steroid was being taken around with. And when, during that time, there was actually some hesitance around um, the industry um, from going from stereo, sorry, from mono to stereo. And in the 60s, there was this, um, there was the limbo phase where many albums were produced um, in mono and stereo as some adopted the new technology and some weren't sure. Stereo finally rose to, uh, I think, supremacy when the use of um, headphones exploded with the advent of, of the Walkman. Now, in your opinion, mm. what are some of the dominoes that need to fall for dominoes to actually be the industry standard? Like, what needs to happen for the Dolby to become the norm? Right, right. Okay, Oof, that's a really good question. Um, let me think about it on the fly. Like, right now, you could say that nice and of playback is happening on headphones, but they've got to be compatible headphones. So Dolby yeah. Atmos ported across Apple Music, Tidal, Amazon Music, um, and some other platforms, but not all of them. And obviously the big one that's yeah. outstanding is Spotify. Spotify has been getting a lot of flack in the last two years for not delivering on the vids kind of promises, which is like, <laughs> um, like a hi-fi tier of music and maybe like adjusting their pricing or their subscriptions so that, and you know, it's kind of... audio thing, I think, because I feel like... Exactly, exactly. So... So that's something outstanding there. It's like, if that was to develop, then I think that would be a massive game changer that I can't even kind of like, I cost the impact of that, but it would be, it would be gigantic. The fact that Apple Music has taken it on board um, and offered both spatial audio and um, lossless at not an increased rate, they just stayed at their flat feet and introduced yeah. all those features. It's like really hardcore battle move uh you know and they can afford to do it being such a massive company and that has been a game changer and i think yeah other companies are going to start to follow suit when it comes to dsps having to kind of with each other you yeah, know I some of them imagine, are falling behind now i can't imagine spotify adopting um, um adopting 3d sound without upping their price i just yeah it doesn't make just sense being the kind yeah. of company they are you literally can't imagine them, yeah. them doing so um, I think from a development point of view as well like from distribution ingesting all this music because you know 60,000 tracks a day or more those changing all the time like to, to de- from a development point I think that's also going to have a lot of headaches you know that they're not necessarily prepared for that's it I think one of the other yeah. things that would need to happen if it was present on YouTube because I think more people yeah. use YouTube than, <laughs> than Spotify. Yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not talking about YouTube music. I just mean YouTube as an actual platform. Exactly. And yeah. Yeah. If that was offered to people, I think that would, like, if the floodgates were open with Apple, then I think the seas would part um, as YouTube would be the Moses in, in, in this situation. Um, totally. Because there's also the diversity of markets that YouTube um, is, is entrenched in for also pretty much next to nothing. And if yeah, some, some, exactly. kid, some kid in Bangladesh, <laughs> and I'm just yeah. bringing up liberal countries, if some kid in Bangladesh has access to, to, um, to, to this, then I think that'd be, that'd be really cool. But apart from that, like I said, I just can't imagine uh, a service such as Spotify incorporating this without mm-hmm. charging people more um and how yeah, does the pro- exactly. and how does the process of mixing for dolby atmos sorry, yeah sorry for, for dolby atmos differ from how you usually mix yeah 
Yeah, a few ways. Um, I could talk you through like the sort of basic experience of it, which is like we, as a as a mixing house, like choir. Um, firstly, we require stems at forty eight k four bit, so a sample rate of forty eight thousand kilohertz and twenty four bit, um, and that's like film standard because it's a film standard. So all of this technology, Dolby Atmos, the whole thing is come world of film. They, that's just the default, you know. The, the upside is also that's like a high res format. So, you know, you're not listening to it. There is like a lot of debates about 44.116 bit B quality, CD sound, CD era, and Nyquist theorem and blah, blah, blah. Like far as that might not be like the best experience of listening to music and this 4824, which I think is already a recommended standard by um, like the association behind the Grammy for engineering, at least. Like it's a good standard because that's really hi-fi. Um, anyway, so we need files delivered at 4824 and as much separation as possible because you have the possibility of distributing sound anywhere in 3D space. So, you know, if you have your kind of, and sometimes this does happen, like, you know, that someone will have an instrumental and then some vocals and handles just like one thing. That's okay, you know, because there are ways to kind of start to strut around the room and you can do a lot then with the vocals and with the backings and the harmonies and stuff like that. Um, but ideally, as much separation as possible is cool. And um, mostly we work in Pro Tools because that's also just the standard. It also works in New End. Now it works in Logic, but that hasn't really been like, that hasn't become like, um, again, like ended yet. And what's really important to note is like one of the things about the tone and the timbre of music is that it, it really changes a lot when you work in Atmos for two reasons. One, there is no like final sum, like two bus, like master bus signal path or anything like that. So when you work in stereo, um, everyone does, it's normal. You know, all the music at the end is being squeezed through one channels, one pair of channels, the left, right stereo master bus. And then all of that is coming out of your speakers, your headphones, and it's yeah. getting smashed. And it's been getting smashed for a long time. Um, that's to do with the loudness wars and the competition of people on radio, competition of people on playlists. Mm -hmm. And people trying to hack the luffs, which is like to technically measure loudness. Um, and so when you hear the contrast music in stereo and then music in Dolby Atmos, it sounds so much more open and it does. Um, it does. dynamic and breathing, which is really beautiful. Um, but for some people in the beginning, for some of our clients, it's an adjustment to make because we're so used to music mm. being basically distorted. Um, I mean, it is distorted using harmonic saturation. Is how you can get, get Exactly, is how you can get your loves up. Um, but it's just a breath of fresh air to absorb the atmos. I mean, generally speaking, there's a loudness spec of like negative 18 loves. So that's very different from like negative six, which is what guys Wait. in Hollywood are doing in Wait. stereo. You know? do, do you need a headroom of minus 18? Exactly. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yeah. In in terms of like decibels, true peak could have won, but negative eighteen laughs is really quiet. Yeah. That's like you know, uh, music compared to like rap and pop. Yeah. You know, but the upside is that we're saving ourselves. We're taking a few steps back from the loudness wall for a while. I mean, I think I'm again because it's inevitable. People are competitive, but um, but right now it's very pleasant. Yeah, it sounds good. And how does it work when tracks are remixed for Dolby Atmos slash uh, spatial audio? To be honest, 
I have quite a problem with um, remix tracks for spatial, well, certain remix tracks um, for spatial, as hearing them in, in a spatial context doesn't necessarily enhance the vibe and the sound of the track. It actually can take yeah. away from the experience. I remember when. That's true, definitely. Yeah. Continue. Please go ahead. I remember when, go ahead. <laughs> when, 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 it first, when it first came out, one of my homies came through to visit, and then he's like, You hear that thing that Apple rolled out? I'm like, What? That thing, dude. Come on, you know about this. Uh, and, and no, I didn't actually. And then I went to check it out. And I was just confused, dude. Like, I was just so confused. And it literally, it is what you're talking about in the sense of we're so used to hearing stereo that that hearing a track that sounds a lot more, that has a lot more room to it, sounds somewhat awkward. But there are generally certain tracks. Um, WAP is a good example that I've literally taken away. Uh, that take away the actual vibe of the track. Uh, yeah, definitely. I agree with that totally. I think like um, it has happened because we're at the beginning of something. It's kind of I feel like this is probably what was happening when stereo was first being introduced, and people were making mistakes or discoveries about what to do and what not to do. And you know, there's a lot of hype about remixing huge catalog material, like whatever michael jackson Rolling stones you know that that kind of thing um but that music was not made to be heard this way the music was was uh, perfectly produced to be what it is yeah. you know, what it was um and when you start to pull that kind of thing apart and you hear like you know i've heard this with even like bob marley and like you know really amazing music some you hear like a guitar part in the corner of the room here the next thing when it's distributed, it's not glued together anymore in the way it naturally works. And so then you hear things and you realize, man, these backing singers are out of tune or like this percussionist is out of time. And it's then you're not winning, you know, then you kind of view them like an injustice. Um, so it's kind of like touch and go with, with the, you know, the famous catalog work. But I think going forward is where it's, where it's really at. Like everything that's coming out in Atmos now being made with an awareness of of where we're all going is really, really exciting because like I said, with the intention, when the intention is there, or at least the awareness, then it translates really nicely. Okay, so the way I'm seeing it, it's like, remember, um, like there are certain records from the Beatles and Jimi Hendrix where they were playing around with stereo where you would hear their vocals. Yeah. I think Purple Haze yeah. by Jimi Hendrix is a great example. Like I think the original, uh, you'd hear his vocals are panned way to the left or to the right, and the guitars are, are, yep. are in a certain way. So it kind of reminds me of that. We're pretty much in that period where people are playing around. Yes. And in the future, when people hear it, they're going to be like, what the, f- what the F was this person thinking to do X, Y, Z? Exactly. I remember when I heard a bass that was panned all the way to the left for the whole song. And I'm like, I'm not like a professional but yeah. <laughs> um, but realistically speaking, though, there are so many studios that have ridiculously, ridiculously expensive gear dedicated to mixing in stereo. For studios and artists um, who want to mix with Dolby Atmos and spatial audio in mind, wouldn't the process of infrastructure change in order um, to mix in Atmos be extremely costly? And that's also create a barrier to entry because there are yeah. also so many artists, so we can't also neglect to mention the artists that are recording in the bedrooms and the and the garages, um, and how that is, and how stereo has just become the norm. And just for someone who wants to 
up their game or want to start mixing. Even, even the studios, like, like I mentioned, just like the infrastructure change to mix in Atmos um, might be ridiculous, ridiculously expensive. So I think that's one of the things that, um, that's causing a barrier for Atmos to become an industry norm. Um, but I'm keen to yeah. hear your thoughts on that. For sure. Um, uh, well, I've got a lot of thoughts. I'm very, because coming from SA, like I'm so aware of these types of things. Um, it's really opened my eyes to a lot like around the world. Um, I just want to say, I know that there, it's funny, there's a case study for this, Anik Ali, that um, mixed by Ali, uh, or like Kendrick's dude. Yeah. Um, he is part of like a, an organization now, what's it called? Engineers, like ears, engineers. They are um, trying to put out and like promote Dolby Atmos to to break that barrier to entry for like producers who might be bedroom bedroom producers or engineers or mixers. Um, they can get to know Dolby Atmos and be part of that wave going forward because you're spot on. There definitely is a entry like there's a there's a, a knowledge curve like to kind of get head around it because um, the way it differs from stereos it can be quite intense. It's a lot to do. Um, and the whole kind of quality control process is, is a bit of a handful at times. Um, but of course, then there's just the basis of it. It's like, you know, owning a set of 12, 13, 40 speakers, like that's a lot. And um, and you also to be like a verified Dolby Atmos studio, a certain spec, you know, a certain grade of speaker and the room has to be calibrated, da, 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 da. So you're really like starting to deal with the types of things that people in the film industry are dealing with when they build their rooms for mixing. Um, and that's just very prohibitive. That, that, that can be like intensely difficult. Fortunately, everyone can make a start with headphones, which is great. Um, and it's been, I think, really, really cool that Dolby has plugins run across like all DAWs. So people can get a start on that. Even in Ableton Live, there's like a VST so that people can at least start to like break into that. Um, and in Logic, it's, uh, it's built in natively now since it's, it's been a few months. Um, so people go really far with that. I think in Logic, you know, in the whole, in the complete package, like you can, you can author a final Dolby Atmos mix um, all off your laptop with a set of headphones, which is pretty great. It's like barrier to entry goes, the thing about the big studios, right? Like maybe the same conversation as like working with a proper mastering engineer you know, is that at some point down the line, if you want to do this properly and make sure as far as being competitive goes, that your music is sitting in the right place in relation to, you know, everything else in the market that, that you're trying to be a part of, like, then it's most of the time a really good idea to have a proper mastering engineer have their ears yeah. on your music as well. And a lot of the time, that's what you pull. You know, top mastering engineers are not getting paid to like, fix your music as much as there to like approve what's good you know enhance what's good about it make sure that it's sitting in the right place and and send it on um and i think that's that's an important like thing to think about when it comes to kind of making a start with Dolby Atmos i think everyone should be making a start with doing as much as they can now and then finding ways to communicate with like professional studios to just verify that they've made the right decision as far as panning equalization, compression, and so on and so on. Yeah. What I find interesting yeah. is that um, Dolby Atmos Music was already available to premium subscribers of Tidal and Amazon, and it hadn't garnered that much attention compared to Apple. 
Uh, what are your yeah. thoughts on Apple uh, marketing versus brand new invention when something of its kind already existed? What are my thoughts on that? Um, I see what you're saying. I, I, I totally get your drift on that. Um, I guess that's just how it is. <laughs> Sometimes things are more or less dormant in the market and like a big player comes along and says like, we're doing it and then it's on. And then for everyone, like, you know, for kind of the, the common man or user, consumer, whatever, like then it's, this is new, this is hip. But I mean, it's been going on, like this tech has been developed for like out of a decade in the film world. And yeah, exactly. It's been as a niche audio file offering on Tidal and Amazon for like a couple of years at least, but it wasn't really doing things. You know, yeah, and so obviously true. when Apple when Apple gets on board, it's like everyone looks up. And they're like, "Well, we need to do this too." Um, so I think that's positive for like, yeah, yeah, many parts of the industry. This literally reminds me of. Um, um, I'm just trying to figure out a way to explain it. Um, Thomas Edison. Uh, <laughs> I'm going somewhere. <laughs> I'm going somewhere. Yeah, man. <laughs> um, yeah, apparently there was a different dude that actually invented the, the light bulb. However, Thomas Edison um, handed in his uh, patent a lot earlier than the person that already invented the light bulb. And this literally reminds me of that. Like, yes, Atmos yeah. so was available uh, with the title and, title and uh, Amazon, but I think mm. it's their fault that we didn't know about this. Um, and I must say, hats off to, to Apple's marketing department because they really pushed that um, yeah. in, a way that, um, in a way that incorporated uh, a lot of artists, in a way that told a story, um, even though I didn't buy the story. <laughs> yeah. The person didn't buy it, I must respect the, uh, the fact that they created something. Lot, they created, they, they gave the audience something bigger to latch onto than just talking about sound stuff um because i feel as if exactly that's the direction i don't know like sometimes sometimes i feel as if title is a very cool platform i really respect that platform yes. in terms of how Definitely. they market yeah. things like um i think when they first came up with their they were one of the, the forerunners of hi-fi audio um mm-hmm. but the way they went about it um i don't know just the story isn't easy to buy into um, that's yeah. it was a story in the first place and I think um, Apple really Apple's marketing department really um, yeah shook the world when they uh, unveiled uh, spatial audio um, and in your opinion <laughs> do you think spatial audio is better than stereo um, a lot of the time yes a lot <laughs> of the time but not but not the time definitely not all the time I think that like yeah i'm just speaking personally like not on anyone's behalf like um you know i i love like a lot of jazz and and, like classical music and stuff like that and and music that's kind of like more vintage or whatever and like i'm not trying to hear it being changed in any way which i guess makes me like you know i'm an old soul or whatever in that respect um so in those cases like i prefer the stereo or maybe the mono version you know whatever it is like i'm really attached to that um but as far as new things go like it's really exciting you know from my kind of professional side like working in the studios and everything 
you know, when you hear the contrast, when you're working on, on picks and you get to do the A-B test, which we have to do a lot because we have to know that everything's like compliant to, it's the same length and it has the same balances more or less. And, you know, in terms of the levels and everything, when we're doing the ABs, you start to realize after a while, yeah, how brutal passion and saturation has become on modern mean stereo and working in Atmos just lets, lets all the elements speak um, clearly and openly in a much more transparent way. And it's really, you know, um, and that applies to like all genres. That's the funny part, you know, because, you know, like modern pop and modern rap like leans on that kind of saturated sound. Um, yeah. And it's really, really, it's, it's really, really cool. Like I love it. It's really cool and it's exciting, but it also sounds really good without it. You know, if the songs are good, like if the tracks are, are bangers, then bangers in, in any format, what makes which is good, really like a, a joy to listen to. What makes a good Dolby Atmos mix? I feel like this sounds dumb, like modern music in general, like regardless of whatever subgenre, you know, it's going to be, is lends itself well to Atmos. There are so many kind of moves that people are making in production now where like there's so much ear candy. It feels like there's more ear candy than ever yeah. before, probably because people have endless tracks in the AW to record onto and yeah. you can produce details. I mean... There are singer engineers who will have like a different delay or reverb throw for like every word of every verse of a song. Pick out the ones they like and use, which like in the past was impossible. Like you just couldn't. You had a couple good reverbs if you were lucky. And, it, and so to be able to work with music now where you can highlight moments, you know, in like being communicated in the lyrics, you know, or just in the energy of the song, for lack of a better word, magical with that, you know, like position that in the room as like a moment is really really cool and that's happening like across genres just because people are sophisticated with their sound design than ever before um yeah that's my take on that you know brian you know yeah yeah um i was listening to a talk um from him and what he's what he meant there's something that he uh yeah for anyone that wants, that wants to check it out it's his red bull um red bull lecture talk Liberal Academy, mm. uh, like talk, and he mentioned something in the talk that you're talking about as well. And what I found, what I found beautiful, um, what I found beautiful in the talk was when he was talking about technology. I'm fucking using the talk so much, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I found beautiful um, in the talk was when he was talking about technology. And yes, how it's so great the fact that we have. A multitude of various options of what to do in our in our DAWs and in our systems. However, that yeah. kind of the kind of downside to that is that a that kind of um, limits the beauty of what you can do with limitations. And b, yeah, yeah, I'm with you. A lot of the best music is made with, with with mistakes and totally with with like with the ability to easily quantize something with the ability to to easily fix whatever you you want to fix that hinders uh one's ability to make mistakes and i feel as if with more and more and more technology piling onto the production process um i i don't know i feel as if i feel as if this this uh, what what brian was saying is, is it echoes so loud um especially now that the that now, now, now that there's Atmos in the mix. And I feel as if one of the most, um, for any modern producer, especially in the electronic realm, I feel as if one might struggle with limits. Um, because 
-hmm. you have a canvas and you are presented with so many colors you have you can choose it almost yep. any, any color that you you uh you want um and you can go on the net and just crack plugins if you wanted to as well and you have yeah. this variety but um one doesn't actually build a relationship and build rapport with the actual instruments or the actual um, either DAW or VSC. If you have, <clears throat> if you have a guitar or if you have a piano, um, there's so much you could do with that, and that literally forces you to build more of a relationship with with your instruments. And yeah, and that's just my take on what you're saying about. Uh, what's going on in modern music? And, um, I'm with you, man, all the way. <clears throat> I think, like, the tendency that, yeah, I think interesting to notice, like, how music moves back and forth in this way. There's the tendency to look back and look forward. Like, we mentioned just now, like, how much of the work we do is a lo fi beats, where the point is to make, like, the haziest, like, waviest, dirty. <laughs> like tape noise riddles <laughs> yes. flutter effect music never heard right but yes. like we have computers with like the maddest processing power like unlimited storage capacity the cleanest sound like there is no noise floor at like 32 mm. but you know what i mean like that's like the situation we're in and now like teenagers around the world are trying to make like the dirtiest like the waviest sounding shit ever from an innate sense that like what they do is authentic and has meaning and has like soul or whatever mm. um that's interesting and that that extends to kinds of genres i mean in the world of like indie rock pop music or whatever like that's been going on for ages now that playing with the chorus turned up full on their guitars they're like totally out of tune and and then at the same time you have like the most like pristine sounding maybe soulless like edm you've ever been made all these things are happening at the same time because people are negotiating how they feel about like what's real and what's not real. And I definitely don't have any answers to that because uh, it gets very philosophical <laughs> very quickly. But there is something about, there's something about sheen and polish that is a little bit dull. Ironically oh, speaking. Ironically speaking. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and I think on my side, like the more I listen to, uh, like Lo-Fi House, yeah, the more I got into Lo-Fi House, um, the more I started to, like, go around finding vinyl crackle uh, samples, yeah, and um, just finding a way, yeah, like what you're saying about uh, teenagers, I'm not a teenager, but teenagers around the world, <laughs> uh, finding ways to to dirty things up, and I'm, and I think a big part of the reason is because. Especially in our mainstream, just like sheen just becomes so dull, especially if you're bombarded with it uh, on such a such a regular basis. Um, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Earlier we mentioned that spatial audio can actually take away from the experience um, uh, in terms of yeah. mixes. What do you think can be done about the inconsistency inconsistency when it comes to track mixes? Wow. Um, on the hand, subtlety. I think having like a more subtle, like gentle approach to to working with like catalog material to, you know, remake like archival stuff is the way forward, definitely. Because um, that's not going to slow down. And I think people are trying to convert everything that's ever been made into spatial, at least if it's, if it's well known. Um, so yeah, a more subtle approach as with many things, you can see the move. Um, and secondly, 
this is totally different, but like things to be done, like it's going to go that way. Um, and people are going to make mistakes. It's new and it's going to take time. And eventually people develop a rule book because there isn't really a rule book now. And there is really, if you think about the like stereo mixing and mastering, like it's, it's deep, <laughs> you know, and people are really like, you know, um, battling it out on the forums about, you know, what they think is the right way to do things. Um, in the world of Dolby Atmos, barely started, you know, so it's going to take some time for people to establish what they think is like the right to approach this as far as like the mixing goes. Um, this is a that's great what opportunity now that you mentioned that there's no rule. Like that, that's an, that, mm. that opens uh, the world to be almost anything that you, that you want. Mm. Something can't sound wrong if you haven't, if you haven't, if you don't know what wrong is in that world. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. It's just based on your instincts, you know, for the time being until, like I said, it's been settled and established what people think translates best across platforms. I remember when I heard um, Pedro Nada's, um If, and mm-hmm. that was one of the first times in my life I heard bass, uh, like bass wide in stereo. And yeah, exactly. Yeah. I was just shocked. Like, how dare this guy? <laughs> <laughs> how dare this guy do that? But then, well, the more I started, started listening to more obscure genres, and the more I found that it was kind of common. When it comes to Dolby Atmos, you're not going to get, um, I guess, skeptics like that. They're going to be, it's going to be more so a thing of like, oh, I didn't know you could do that. Um, mm. Then, like, what? Like, then that sort of reaction. And yeah, my last yeah. question. My last question for you is, uh, what would you say to Dolby Atmos skeptics? Um, if you can, try get in a room. And I know that's difficult, but they are like, they're around the world, they're building hundreds of studios right now. Um, and a lot of people are on board and find ways to do it. That's like the number one way to hear it and be blown away by it for sure because i think like just making a comparison on headphones is you know we love the stereo and it's it's smashed you know um and if you hear that's not as loud or as bright or saturated then you might not love that at first which is okay like each to his own but if you get to hear it in a room then uh you switch between the a and the b and you realize that like you're staring at the wall in front of you and this wall in front of you or you're listening to the whole room and then it's kind of like, there's no comparison. Kind of like watching a concert on your laptop or like watching a concert in real life. Mm. It's very much along those lines, like with no exaggeration. Mm. Uh, yeah, man, thank you so, so much for your time. I love the fact that, um, yeah, like in the beginning, you opened up your hearts and also towards the end, we talked about a lot more technical stuff. You, um, yeah, you weren't afraid to dive deep and let us know what you what you know and like open up um open up your mind to us and i really appreciate that like i feel as if whoever's listening to this is going to walk away doing a lot more about not only what you do but also the world of uh, spatial atmos spatial uh audio and dolby atmos too and the future of uh sound technology too and yeah again thank you so much for being here it's an absolute pleasure it's so good to talk <laughs> and yeah enjoy the rest of the night man great Have a good night, man. Peace. Until next time. If you've made it here, again, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure doing this, and it's been 
amazing making all these episodes and shedding more light on what goes on in the various parts of the music industry um like i mentioned before if you have not rated the podcast please do and follow us on whichever social media platform that you use thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode um yeah guys peace it's been real